Trust your gut. Listen to that voice within that's telling you that where you are isn't it. Trust that where you are will still be there if you decide to return. And trust that like you're being put on a path. Like I always say, your your dreams are in you to manifest. And so if there is a desire in you that is getting louder and louder, I often find life will get more and more uncomfortable as well until you surrender into that voice that's like, hey, pay attention to me. We need to go. And there's going to be massive resistance. People are going to tell you you're crazy. Your primal instincts are going to tell you you're crazy. But we are citizens of this globe. And if we can look at it through that lens, knowing that we'll be held, protected, cared for wherever we go, do it. I'm Holly Whitaker. And I'm Emily McDowell. And this is Quitted, a podcast about quitting. How you doing? I love it when I wait for you to talk. Um, It's a very pregnant pause. Um, I uh, am, I'm fine. Um, How are you doing? You've been really sick. I've been really sick. Um, I'm I'm finally starting to turn a corner, but um, I have been some degree of sick for the last five weeks. So that's where I'm at. I don't, I don't really have like, that's it. That's basically been my life has been, has been managing this and sort of, you know, working from bed, kind of like, (laughs) just like being, being in bed. You're eating in bed? Mm, Trying not to. I'm not the neatest person. So like, I'm just trying, I'm trying to keep the like soup (laughs) out of the bed. Separate from the, Yeah. yeah, I know. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I have like an I have a like thing with that because I was bulimic. So my used to have food all over my sheets. Um oh. I know it's a weird thing because um one of my friends recently was telling me how he loves eating in bed and he's like, it's such a guilty pleasure to just like eat a pizza in bed. And I was like, mm, you know, like just having these like flashbacks of like stumbling home drunk in college and putting frozen broccoli in the fly in the fry daddy and eating it in bed and shoving the plates under it like I was what's her name from that movie with Angelina Jolie who's just like put the Brittany Murphy in that movie where she used to hide the chicken carcasses in her bed Yeah, yeah that was like me um so yeah I was like no I don't really eat in bed um <laughs> ever kind of done that um anyway um how do we end up anyway so you're besides not eating in bed (laughs) how are you what's going what's going on oh um oh my god my hair is growing back in i'm really excited about it i finally cut a mullet um because it was the only thing to do to like honor where my hair was not growing in and where it was and it's the first time in like years like we talked to Sarah in this episode and when that pre-interview we talked about like how New York like hurt her nervous system and then she said, Did it hurt yours? And I was like, Oh, I lost my hearing and my hair fell out and like, you know. But like So not really. <laughs> no. <nah, laughs> it was all right. Um, so it's the first time in years that like I feel like I have hair and oh God, it's like thick. It just like it makes me so happy. So I'm good. I feel like I got off Instagram. I signed, you know, my book deal finalized and was announced. Um, I'm all of a sudden, you know, after like Tempest, after signing my final paperwork and like signing away all of it. um, It's just like, you know, things just opened up in my life. I'm really happy. And it's weird to be really happy. So Mm. in a good way. Yeah. and a wow, yeah. how does that happen? How do you go from, you know, feeling really terrible to so quickly feeling you know, or not so terrible, but just like this unending period of of feeling like, when do I get out of these woods? And then all of a sudden you're just out of the woods. So Yeah. And I think that's also like in my experience, when I'm in the woods. You really think I, I really I always, I always think I'm never going to get out. Yeah. Like I think I so quickly go to this is what life is now. Like Forever. and I forget that it can be good again. And you know, I I 
have struggled with depression my whole life. So that's, this is part of that. Mm-hmm. But when I am in that space, it's very hard to imagine that it can get good. And then when I've come out of it, like I, it is looking back and saying like, this actually can happen more quickly than you think. It happens um, so fast. I mean, not always, but yeah. And when you're in it, like, because that there's so much suffering and there's so much resistance in me personally to that suffering, like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Oh, this is not the right response. Like, you know, all of that stuff we put around between ourselves and the actual experience of it, you know, makes it so much harder. But you're reminding me what you just said. Like, um, did you ever read that article, The Erasing, like Lennon wrote years ago? It was like probably like seven years Mm -mm. ago she wrote it. Just The Erasing and how when you're – you know, when she was talking about how when she was like in deep depression, it's just erased that she could be any other way. But then also the racing is like when you're on the other side of it, it almost erases that you could feel that terrible and that you could forget the point of your life, you know. And I, I do find that it's really hard for me to, rem- you know, like to remember, oh, yeah, I was really fucked up. <laughs> like, oh, Yeah. <laughs> I had no life worse, you know. So, um, anyway. So, Sarah Clark is who we interviewed today. Uh, Sarah is a uh, yoga teacher and a teacher and somebody that has had a long and successful career and like a, a like an exceptionally successful career in the field of yoga uh, and meditation because it's so hard to break through and like break out. And so she's been on the cover of Yoga Journal a couple of times. She was, was a Lululemon ambassador. And today we interviewed her about quitting America and moving to Grenada full time, but also like kind of walking away from her career at the height of it. I think this is probably one of the best episodes that we've done on a personal narrative of quitting where somebody – has a ton of perspective and is able to really make sense of all of the changes that they've made while kind of still being in it. So I appreciated so much about this and um, yeah, we can't wait for you to listen. Yeah. She's really wonderful. Um, And she is still in it, which I think is super valuable to hear that she both has this perspective and she's still figuring it out. And yeah, I think it's great to be able to talk to someone who shows that we can hold both, you know, that, that there is not a before and an after. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just a quick reminder before we get into this episode, we appreciate all of you for just being here, for just listening. That is enough. Um, If you want to help us out, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. Uh, by rating us on Apple Podcasts. That helps more people find us. Uh, If you want to write a review, that also really helps. If you want to go gold star level and really love this podcast, um, we have a Patreon community at Patreon. uh, Emily, Patreon forward slash Patreon.com forward slash Quidditch. That's right. Thank you. Yes, so you can go there um, and you can join our Patreon community. We are not going to edit this because we've tried to do this advertisement about 10 times. And so we're just, we're just rolling it through it. That's, we're rolling that's through. It. Just going to deal that's with it. it. We got it. Okay. Uh, without further ado, here's Sarah. Sarah Clark, welcome to Quitted. You were also one of the very first people that we wanted to have on. It took us a long time to get you on, but I'm so excited to see you. I haven't seen you in – I met you – I mean, I met you once. We met at a party years ago. Um, but I've been following you ever since, and just like how Instagram fucks with you, it makes you feel like you know people. Totally. So. And we kind of do because we share pieces of our lives, and it's a joy to be on this podcast. Congratulations for having this beautiful platform. Yeah, well, thank it's you. It's a lot of fun. Thank well, you for being here. this is a here. lot of fun. Yeah. Yes. Getting to talk to people like you. It's an honor. Thank you. So there's a lot of stuff we want to cover in this, and we're just going to kind of let it meander. But let's start at this point in time. It's February 2020, March 2020. You're in Grenada, and the pandemic hits, and you don't live there. You live in New York City. You want to just start telling the story from there? 
Yeah, sure. I'm actually, I'm not in New York City in February of 2020 after 13 years. I am in Grenada. So, you know, I talk a lot about divine timing and my whole life had just completely changed. And it was either Mexico. I love Mexico. I've backpacked through Mexico or visiting my friend finally in Grenada because I've been trying to go for several, several attempts that failed. And it just so happened, like I booked a one way to Grenada, this tiny little island uh, in the West Indies, right next to Trinidad and Tobago, but also very close to Venezuela, just floating in the ocean. And um, I knew I was going to be there for the winter. It was the first time I was able to just escape for a winter. It had been a long time. And I, you know, I settle in. My friend has a beautiful community that she connects me to. And I'm like, wow, this is phenomenal. And then March happens. <laughs> the whole world you know, the, the rumors of this outbreak in China and then wait a second, you know, New York City becomes the epicenter. Um, so in between that, I had to either decide, do I stay in Grenada or do I go back to New York City? And I was internally freaking out. I had to like call people and friends and family and just sit with myself um, because the U.S. Embassy was sending me emails saying, please return to the United States or you might be stuck where you are for an unforeseeable amount of time. It was just like these ominous, apocalyptic emails. And something in me just said, stay where you are. And so I did. And this goes against all of our programming, especially as Americans, that like America is like the safest place to be, you know, Going anywhere outside of the States is dangerous. You might die. Um, but I felt held. I felt safe where I was. I didn't know how Grenada's healthcare system was going to hold up because their healthcare system is 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 fragile and still developing. Um, but I think there's something bigger than than all of us that is is holding us if we tap into it. So I decided to stay. And I've been here since February 2020. It's become my home. Mm. Yeah. So when you went to Grenada, when you decided to take this trip, you, what was going on with your career? Like, how were you making a living? What were you doing? What kind of, and, and what was kind of shifting for you? Wow. My career was booming. I was, you know, teaching full-time yoga and meditation. I had the privilege of being a global ambassador for Lululemon. So I was teaching, I got to teach in China. I got to teach Pan. I was flying to Vancouver. I was um, not long before that filming for Yoga Glow based in LA, just teaching all types of events in New York City, leading retreats abroad, gracing magazine covers twice on Yoga Journal, once on Prevention Magazine. I was um, on the teaching staff at Kripalu, the, the, I think it's one of the largest um, retreat centers in North America. It is the largest, I believe. And I, I trained there. So everything that I had been working towards was happening, but I just found you were myself like a, a yoga celebrity, right? Like a yoga, like somebody, because there's so many yoga teachers, and you stood out and you made a career out of it that very few people get to make. Which I that's never, how I see it. Is that do you agree? I never, I never surrendered into that to the point where. Yoga Journal was having their last Yoga Journal conference, which is like a big deal in the yoga world. You know, all the main teachers come. And I was teaching like a main stage event or class, and I was on the cover. I was on that issue, which meant it was being distributed throughout the conference, my cover. I did not go to not one workshop. I hid until it was time for me to teach. I showed up for that and then left. So I was uncomfortable. Yeah, I guess so. Because I think also when you're really in, when you really believe in what you do, when it's something you embody, um, I just found like a disconnect to what was happening. You know, like, okay, you want me on the cover of a magazine? Like, all right, sure. Instead of like, yes, of course. You know, and so I'm working on the yes, of course. But then it was just like, really? You know, almost this imposter syndrome that a lot of Black women talk about, a lot of humans talk about. So I never felt like I was actually qualified for 
the accolades I was receiving. But this two, two and a half year pause has allowed me to reflect on that. I, I think it's so interesting what you just said about how that if you're doing something because it's what you love and what your soul wants to do, and then there's also this really showy component of it that's also part of your success, right? And doing that job, being on magazine covers, leading the main stage, being Lululemon ambassador, you know, like I I found you through Yoga Glow. And I think that it is really interesting because then the pe- I find it so weird because then the people that really do dig that stuff love the like the propaganda piece of it or like the branding piece of it or the marketing piece of it they're the ones that go far and stay in it and then someone like you you know falls out of it i mean do you do you know what i'm saying like it's a weird dynamic yeah i think i was burned out because you become a commodity if you're not careful and if you don't have a team that steers you, which I did not have. Um, I got a mediocre lawyer who wasn't really thrilled to be, you know, marking up my contracts, you know? Yeah. I, you know, and it's hard to find an agent and, or at least that was my internal dialogue. Maybe that cut me off from finding an agent. So yeah, when you're in it on your own, it's amazing because everything kind of just happened organically. Like I didn't have an agent finding things for me, jobs for me, like everything came out of desire. But when you feel like a commodity, especially as one of the only black women being showcased as a sought after teacher, it's, it, you just feel taken advantage of and contracts aren't always that great. So it can look glamorous and amazing. And, you know, this two and a half year pause has allowed me to see other teachers doing what I was doing. So I'm like, oh, wow, this was something that others wanted to do. Interesting. Because when I was in it, it was just very uncomfortable with highlights and just like teaching for a thousand people in Bryant Park, traveling and, you know, using a translator in China to teach. It's it, just phenomenal experiences. Phenomenal. And just a lot of stress as well, because there's there's the business side and I'm actually selling things for people and companies. So yeah, it's 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 almost like um, a music artist. It can be tough. It can be tough. You know, partnering with those big companies, it's like ultimately from their point of view, the bottom line is that your role is to make money for them. And so especially with yoga, those two things are just sort of antithetical. You know, the capitalist yoga machine, I imagine, is just really tough to participate in, in any kind of a long-term way. It is if you don't know how to play the game and if you don't have the right people behind you supporting you, it can be. And I think that can be in any industry and, and they can, they can sell it to you like so beautifully, but then your terms might not be great or um, the team doesn't treat you the best or, you know, and, and you can get through that. You can work through that and, and have an end goal in sight. But I, I didn't, I was just like, I love teaching. That's it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I got burned out. And so during my time in Grenada, especially like 2019, 2020, when everything was shifting to virtual, I was still getting opportunities coming my way. And some of them were not so great, but big companies. And I was just like, I'm tired of this. Like, if I am seen as a celebrity yoga teacher, why are you offering me like a hundred bucks to teach a class? You know, so it's still that. It's still that. And it's still like, is this the same contract you're giving um, like a blonde haired celebrity teacher? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I don't don't think so. Um, maybe, but so I also saw that gap as well, that for me felt problematic. Yeah. Well, and then you, this also is like, then George Floyd's murder happens. And then also everyone all of a sudden becomes extremely conscientious of like the appropriation. I mean, not everyone, but enough people become conscientious of like the appropriation of like an indigenous practice. You're a black teacher. I imagine that as well, like in a very, very whitewashed and appropriated industry. Like I imagine that this is already happening where you feel this disconnect. And then I, I bet like 
or you tell me in in May or or June of 2020, I bet you things probably changed even, you know, for the worse. Yeah. It it felt more like, well, this stuff isn't in my head, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. it's just not, it's not in my head. I'm not crazy about my experience because also we can be so divided because there's usually just one of us in, in that company on that platform, you know, or if there's another, they're not talking. So we aren't really coming together. Like, I would like us to, and perhaps we are more so now, but the, yeah, there's usually just one. So it, it keeps us divided and, and, and quiet often. So I think that time was refreshing actually um, for everyone to get a, to feel a bit uncomfortable and have some discussions. Um, but also, you know, a lot of companies, um, uh, forward facing might have changed up their branding and 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 inclusion practices but behind closed doors it's still how are you treating your POCs in the workplace you know the mentality and the the sickness of white patriarchal views and practices is is still running rampant so it's still very much alive but i think more of us are just having conversations and our tolerance levels have shifted yeah I think what that was the part that I was thinking that would have made it maybe more toxic, which is that there was a lot like meaning, you know, did more people rush to you to try and have your visibility without actually making changes? Sure. Like yes and no. And, you know, some of it is a blur, but I feel for me, it was beautiful because I was inspired to start leading my own workshops online. And they did really well and it brought community together and it reminded me and it it fired me up to know that I do have a strong community. They do believe in my work. They do want to support me. I can do this on my own. I don't always have to have a backing, the backing of a big Mm -hmm. company or, you know, clothing brand to support me. And if, and when it's time, I can go back out there. Hopefully the intention is to really know my worth because I didn't know my worth. And companies yeah. knew, yeah. they knew my worth. They knew. But I didn't yeah. know. You yeah. know? And that's and why so I think- up until that point, you hadn't been out on your own. You were working either for a stu- for studios, probably in the beginning, and then on and then sort of ambassadors and on platforms and things like that, but not on your own. So this was really the first time that you tried that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because it was, it was going from corporate America, uh, HBO, and then True TV. Like, that's why I even moved to New York into – just having this strong calling to get my yoga teacher certification, not wanting to teach, to realizing that I love to teach, to seeing other teachers growing and blossoming and saying, I want to do that too, to it getting me onto covers of magazines and then being like, whoa, this is a lot. <laughs> this is a lot. Yeah. But looking back, I'm I'm in awe of what I've done. I'm like, wow, when I was in it, I just didn't know I was just doing it. But I'm blown away. And it's, it's, there's grief involved in that because it will never be what it was and that's okay. And there's an opportunity to create something else that I struggle with because imposter syndrome is still there. And, but do you really know what you're doing and will people really support you and on and on it goes. So I think these two, two and a half years have just been about reflecting, grieving, and pushing forward, which I'm still in the process of doing. What's the grief about? Can you talk mm. a little bit about what it is that you're grieving? Yeah. Well, I think like grief, grief was my father's passing in 20, it was February, 2019. He passed from brain cancer and it happened so fast. Like he's like this six, four patriarch of the family, amazing, amazing father. And you just, I just witnessed him, our family witnessed him like literally dwindling away. And that was quite profound. Like my, my hand was on his heart when he passed and then breaking up with my partner at the time and then just leaving the country and not really coming back and career completely shifting and me saying no to literally everything and some big brands came after me and I was like, absolutely not. And then sometimes the regret of that while knowing like in my body, that wasn't what I wanted. But then it's like, 
but the world is abundant. You didn't miss this opportunity. And if anything, let this fire you up to call in what you really need. Cause you know it, that wasn't it or else you would have said yes. So just that, like just saying no to everything except my own work, which is a sacrifice when you live in a capitalistic society that asks you to make a certain amount if you want to live a certain kind of way. So I'm doing my best to defy that. And it's sometimes mind-blowingly phenomenal and sometimes it's terrifying. Yeah. I want to back up for a minute and talk about New York. Like Talk about you teaching 25 classes a week and having this insanely paced life and an interview that we read where you were like, yeah, you know, I have to meditate all the time. Like my nervous system is clearly like, no, this isn't right for you. <laughs> and yet you stayed for 13 years. Um, and so can we talk a little bit about what kind of kept you there despite, you know, having some degree of inner knowing or maybe not having an inner knowing? I don't know. I want to hear about that. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it, it was like more like 15 classes a week. I hope I didn't say 25. Good grief. It felt like 25. It felt like 25, you know, but, but you have to, as a yoga teacher, if you want to teach full time, you don't have to, I don't, I shouldn't say that there's so many different ways, especially now. But at the time, my route was just teaching a lot, you know, and, and I did, and I was slowly able to cut back until I think I had like four classes. And anyway, I was able to like slow it down, but then other things sped up because I was signing contracts. But, you know, I never planned on living in New York. It was just after college, I got a job. I was a freelance production assistant in post-production at HBO. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm moving to New York. And a lot of people that I know, like their goal was to live in New York. So I never really wanted to be there, but in my early twenties, there was a freedom like looking back that I really needed because I went to a, a, a historically black college that was like a private college, Hampton University. And it was very conservative for me. And I come from a very conservative family. There's dress code for the freshmen. There was curfew. If you wanted a boy to come visit, you had to sign them in. Everybody knew he was there. It was just, it felt for me so oppressive. Although there's a lot of people that like rep their school, that school so hard, but it just, it wasn't for me, but it did good things for me. So anyway, so, um, so coming to New York for the first time, I was just like anonymous and also autonomous in my own ways. I could just be and do, and no one cared. And I needed that. And so I stayed and it just worked for me. It worked and worked and worked and worked until I dived, dove, whatever, deeper into my yoga practice. And you just become more sensitive to energy and your own needs and your own body and what makes, you know, you're aware of when you're breathing, when you're not. And just everything becomes um, just hyper, I was just hypersensitive in ways I, I was before. And so I knew it wasn't the best environment for me, but everything is in New York, including like JFK airport to like fly you direct anywhere, you know? So it's hard to leave such a Mecca. And my career was booming. Like my yoga career started in, in New York city from just teaching in health clubs. You know, I wasn't teaching anywhere super fancy. I finally got into a fancy place and then I try, I backpacked and then they like let go of my classes just when I thought like I made it into a really, really private, beautiful studio. But anyway, you don't have to do that to make it. You really don't. So anyway, but yeah, I, there was a point where, um, I was back backpacking a lot and I would come back and I'd be so sad coming back to New York and, but I didn't know how to get out. It's just, it's like, uh, I would always joke and say, it's like an, it's not funny, but it's like an abusive relationship. You know, it's, you know, it's bad for you. It beats you up. It drains you but there's so much good in it and you don't know how to get out. And so you just stay in this really weird cycle that is toxic. My skin was always breaking out. My knees were hurting. My feet were hurting. My sleep was awful. My digestion was awful. And that also just, it just affects your well-being, you know? So 
I dreamt about how I would leave New York, but I, I just, I felt trapped. I don't know why, but I just felt like, where else am I going to live? I, I had no idea. And I didn't know I could live on an island. Right. <laughs> like, I bet there's also just this sense of, because I've been thinking about selling my house and leaving where I live or stay, you know, but it's good, like it's good enough. There's also the settling aspect for the security and the safety of like what you know. And I'm assuming there's like also some fear in there of like, that this is what I know. And if I give that up. Totally. And you know, when you think of um, like, just your system on a primal level. If if you're in a space that's feeding you, sheltering you, you know, providing you all the essentials, um, leaving feels crazy. Just it's a primal thing. Your nervous system will freak out. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, our brains like familiar, even if familiar is kind of hard. Our brains are wired to stay. Yeah, mm-hmm. our brains are wired to stay where you get what you need. Yeah. Um, and even when you're not getting everything you need, <laughs> you know, you're still wired to stay. Um, and also growing up, I don't know about your families, but it's it's like you don't I was always told you don't like make a decision until something is in place. And I've learned that that doesn't work. That's actually not how it works. You make a decision, you take a risk and things will fall into place because the decision you made was is a, actually a part of your journey and you're listening to it and you will be rewarded for listening. You don't have to have mm. everything set up. And so you're also going against that. So you right, like have a plan. Um, I don't usually make plans. Emily does. And this is like something we continuously come back to. I relate extremely hard Sarah, <laughs> to that. Like that's something that I am continuously <laughs> learning. And uh, yes. Yeah. Are you a Virgo? I have a Virgo moon. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Um, I, I want to go to this part. <laughs> okay, so your your father passes away. You um, you break up with a significant, I'm assuming, in a significant relationship. You put your stuff in storage, and then you're going on a trip to visit Grenada. And also, you have had a voice that you told us that was saying, burn it down. Um, You have a very, like a thriving career and then right. Pandemic happens. Can you just kind of walk us through that piece of it? Cause I think that that's a really important part of this, which is that you had all these plates spinning and then you end up being in a place like you have your stuff in storage, no relationship to go back to a career you're willing to you know, let go of or burn down, as you said it. And then what happens? You're in Grenada. How does your life change? What do you do? Yeah. I mean, listen, that voice was crazy because I was having a hard time at in, in one of the positions I was in. Like, it was just shitty behind closed doors, but it looked really shiny. And I'm just like, wow, this is just history repeating itself over and over and over again. And this voice was just like, you know, burn, burn it down, burn it all down because in so many ways, things just weren't feeling safe in my relationship and my career living in New York city, just all of it was just like, burn it down. And I didn't know what that meant, but I acknowledged this voice that didn't really feel like mine, but was trying to get my attention, which often our inner voices do. So yeah, I came to Grenada, like, luckily with a friend there, but I've also traveled with no friends, you know, and just, I've met people and end up traveling with them. And so I don't think you have to have a base somewhere else to support the burning down of something that no longer serves you. I do believe that you can pack it up and figure it out and it's going to be hard, but it's going to be magical as well. So luckily I had some savings and all my backpacking trips. I don't know how I saved, especially like as a teacher, but I just, I always would, I would always just like cut out something, not go out, cook a lot. And I would just save I would Airbnb my place, even though I wasn't allowed to. It was a rent-stabilized apartment, but I would do it anyway. Um, And I would just backpack for like the winters and it was always magical. So I say all that to say, I think that helped me to know that I could 
I could at least weather out the COVID storm in Grenada, but I also had a good friend here and her family and her friends that were like, we're in this together, you know? And Grenada is so abundant. Like, even if like the world burned down, we're floating on this volcanic island, like people have farms and fruit and fruit trees. So we would figure it out. You know, there's waterfalls and fresh streams. So I just... Like if if I'm going to like work from the bottom up and figure things out, like what better place to do it than in an, env- in an environment that has always supported my healing, which is, you know, tropical environments. So I leaned into that, not knowing what was to come. And I'm still in that, like, what is to come phase. And it's getting uncomfortable now. First, it's like, yay. And now I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. Like really what is to come. Yeah. 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 Because I've said no so much that the universe is like, okay, we hear you. We're going to like, we're going to let you do your thing. So I'm also realizing in the burning down and building up that like, I actually don't like doing everything on my own. And I've been so used to companies telling me like, okay, this is performing well. Let's record more of that. And I do it. I'm good at being told what to do, but when it's up to me and someone's like, Hey, do you want to go on my sailboat at 2 PM for like a sunset day cruise? Or, or do I, do I, Sarah want to sit down and write copy for a website? I have yet to go make go live. You know, I haven't published it. I'm going to go on that sailboat. So it's, it's also this balance right now of having the discipline to say no to the things I actually love. In New York, it was easier to be like, no, I'm not going to a party at 10 p.m. I'm exhausted. But here it's right. like, yeah, I want to sit on the beach with you. Of course. Yeah. Well, I was going to say this is my problem too because I've been not working really. I'm not consistently sending out my newsletter at all. Like I'm not doing anything except fucking off. And I've never fucked off in my life. I, I mean, there's a part of me that just thinks like, like I'm I'm afraid I'm never going to work again. If I can find a way to like eat food and have shelter, like maybe I'm never going to work, ag- you know? I mean, I know I I'm worried that it's never going to end. Are you worried that you're just going to Like can't you just keep playing? You know? Right. Right. I'm asking you, and that, can you? <laughs> I know. I'm asking myself that as well. You know, I have a friend visiting and I dropped her at the beach and like I should go back. I want to go back and just sit on the beach with her, you know, but uh, unfortunately our, I don't think our, I think, I think anything is possible. I do. Mm. And if I've been able to like find a work play balance for two and a half years, I think it's possible to continue, but I do think there has to be some structure and some discipline because unfortunately the energetic exchange is money and you need it. You just, you need it. So you've got to figure out like, do I set up something that brings in passive income do I utilize some of my money to invest? So I, 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 again, passive income, like how do I work the smartest and the least? And can I, Sarah Clark, yoga, be okay if I were to never be on a, a magazine cover again? I often want to delete my Instagram, but I also love sharing and connecting because I'm, I'm a journalism major. So I'm I love storytelling and I love, I, you know, I, I was an editor, so I love compiling videos and just putting something together and sharing. So, but I would, I mean, I think this is the, the, the conversation for so many. And I think that's also why there's like a mass exodus from corporate structures. Like people don't want to go back to work. And we're also not acknowledging that things really have burned down on so many levels collectively and globally during this pandemonium of a pandemic that we're still in. And yet we're still asked to pretend that everything is okay. You know, and that blows my mind. Like seeing even here, I know it happened a lot in New York city, let's say like storefronts, like they're just empty. The fact that no one could go outside yet businesses still had to pay rent. And if they didn't, they had to shut down. There was no support is insane and sick. It's sick. And so I think there is a rebellion within me too of like, I'm, t- I'm exhausted from the hustle. I'm so tired. And I don't know how we can collectively come together to say enough is enough. We're going to grow our own food. 
We're going to live off the land. We're not going to do things the way this, you know, this evil structure is, you know, continuing to force us into. We're not going to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I just want to live here, you know, maybe save all the dogs that are starving on the streets and like feed them (laughs) and just live happily ever after. Yeah. And so there's also an ego death and there's also a battle of like, well, what do you want? How do you have both? Because I still want both, you know, I do. I love, I love shoots. I love free clothes. I love partnership deals. It's fun. I love amazing gift bags after you teach at a festival. It's great, you know, but do I really want to get on a plane right now and like do the dance? I don't know. And what does that look like? So how do we redefine it in our own terms while still living a really abundant life, both like uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, and financially in a society not set up for that? That's the question. (laughs) That's the question. Did you find when you first got to Grenada, like has your point of view on work and how you want to approach work and how much you want to work and all that, has that shifted since you've been in Grenada? Like I know that for me, I have been so much of what I have always considered my like quote unquote work ethic has just come from this indoctrination that of of productivity and of, you know, this is, you're supposed to spend a certain amount of time working and producing and, and making something and, you know, do making money. And I wonder if for you, if you felt sort of like you landed and you were immediately like, or if it's taken some time to kind of deprogram that and to observe what's going on around you and how different the pace is on Grenada and how different the perspective is? Well, you know, I'm realizing like capitalism runs rampant everywhere and it's, you can't really escape it. You know, like you can't, maybe you go into like the countryside here. It's a, it's a totally different pace, but it's still here. And everyone's trying to figure out a way to like make money. And especially because tourism was such a big component. It is a big component of of Grenada. So it's still here, but I'm not in New York, which is like a whole other beast, which has allowed me to soften a bit. And I, I can't hustle. I can't speed walk anymore. I can't bounce around. And there's guilt. And I still have anxiety on Mondays. And I'm like, why? Where does this come from? Like, why can't I redefine what Monday looks like? I always feel guilty. Always. It's just in my blood and I'm aware of it, that I'm not doing enough. And then there's this other voice that's like, you're right on time, Sarah. You know, trust the journey. I mean, my website has been down for two years, you know, and by the grace of God, I still get work. But I think that's affecting more. And I just want to hide. But also, I don't think it serves those who might, whose lives might be enhanced by what I have to share. And can I also embody that? Like hiding is also a disservice to those who might need what I have. So I'm trying to get out of my own way and also just approach it differently because this work isn't just my work. It's like spirit moving through me and out. There are things I want to share. There's more. I battle with it. I always feel like I'm not doing enough every single day. I hate it. I want it to all go away. But if I'm in it, then I'm going to feel it. If I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling and I see other people doing things and I'm like, ah, you know, it's just, it's just part of it. It's part of it. So I don't think it's ever going to go away <laughs> unless we collectively choose for it too. But it's like, how can we be really gentle with ourselves as we reimagine what we want for our lives? You know, it's hard because rent and mortgages are due. And health insurance <laughs> you know? and food and Yep. Yeah. 
And this idea that like – it's interesting because I think I heard you say somewhere in here that you are figuring out how to work in order to support uh, fun, right, versus working as an end in of itself. Like I don't think you meant to make that point, but that's what it sounded like. And it does feel like that is a clear shift that's happened for you, which was before it was an end in of itself. And now it feels like you're trying to find how do I work? How do I find the balance to like, but like in the pursuit of like joy? Totally. Yeah. Like I remember in one of my teacher trainings that I was in, a teacher was, there's a quote, what is it? We don't, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. And I just think like life wants us to play with it. And I think a lot of our health issues, mental health issues, addictions come from the constructs of a society that doesn't feel natural to most of us. I I mean, I know this is such a different topic, but like sometimes I even question like bipolarity and schizophrenia. And like, I don't think our society is honoring the ways in which people view the world. Like sometimes it can be super harmful. Like how do we support this person? But it's like some of us, like we have to take antidepressants because there's something in us that's saying like this, this isn't right. And I feel really awful. So like, let me medicate myself so that I can like survive in this system that we're in. Um, And sometimes I question that. I'm like, do I need, do I need antidepressants? I was on them in college after an eating disorder and it helped, you know, but I'm like, no, I don't. I'm just in a really fucked up world that has a lot of beauty in it as well. Thank God I'm in Grenada so I can stare at hummingbirds and I can go to the beach and I can pray in the ocean and I can walk my dog and I can sip coconut water that I get twice a week in these four gallon bottles. And it just helps because this world is insane. (laughs) It's insane. And it's also beautiful. And I have to choose what lens I want to look out of every single day. And sometimes through every single breath that I take and it is hard. And I don't know what I would do without my practices. You know, I don't know what I, I don't know. I'd be literally like, I'd be a mess. I'd be an addict of some sort. I mean, we're all addicts in some ways. I don't want to say all of us, but you know, I'm I'm hooked on Instagram. I scroll. I'm on TikTok scrolling, escaping. I don't want to escape. I want to live. I want to play. And I want to feel aligned. And it's hard because we don't live in a world that wants us to feel aligned ever because that is powerful if we humans were aligned in our purpose. That's right. Well, the system would break down if we were. Yeah. So it's like, how do you stay in a system that is also, I feel, breaking down? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just hard. It's so hard. But I think it's possible. If I'm still in Grenada making it happen, I just, I really think anything is possible, you know, because there's realms. It's like you can tap into like the patriarchal capitalistic realm, but you can also tap into like the abundant realm of where anything and everything is possible. And so I try to stay in that, especially when I feel like I'm losing my mind and getting depressed and feeling lost and feeling like I'm beating myself up and I'm not good enough and all the things. And I want to share this stuff, you know, and it's, it's, it's tricky to find that balance as well. Yeah. Because if you look at Instagram, it's like, oh, look at Sarah and nature. She's having the best time ever. But I'm like, I'm in it because I'm going crazy. <laughs> you know? You know, going back to the environment, the importance of environment, the yeah. environment piece of it. Um, you're a Black woman who grew up in America and you now live in a Black country. And you've talked a little bit about how that's affected you. And um, can you share a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. And I'm still, I'm still a foreigner, you know, the way I dress as soon as I open my mouth, but then people are like, you look like you're from here. Oh, I thought you were Grenadian. You look like my aunt, you look like my sister. So, and that's so beautiful. Cause I don't know my lineage. I don't know exactly where I'm from. So it's just, especially during like the black lives matter movement and George Floyd and, just to be in a country where I'm not afraid of a police officer behind me or if I'm passing them, 
they're they're minding their business and I'm minding mine. And just that alone does something for the nervous system on a cellular level. It allows my body to heal. It allows my body to feel safe. And, you know, that quote by Maya Angelou, when someone shows you their true colors, like, believe it. I'm, I don't, I'm paraphrasing, like, believe it the first time, you know, which we often don't do in relationships and jobs and so many ways. But America continues to show us who America is, and especially for Black people. And I know it's easier said than done to be like, move, leave on so many levels, right? You can't, it's hard financially, totally. But I think if you can leave as a Black person, as a, as a person of color, I think you should. I've traveled to like 20, three, 25 countries. And I always feel more safe abroad than I do in my country of origin. Always. So yeah, blending in to the best of my ability here has just, has been beautiful. And then also, you know, you see how enslavement of Black folk has just done great damage globally, you know? So I also see that here and that's really deep as well. Um, But to see like a black father and his little girl or boy at the beach or getting ice cream. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be in a black country on all levels. It's healing. It's like healing my, my DNA, you know, it really is. I think it's necessary. Yeah. And to, and to only engage with Black people is, and not to have to explain myself, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. So I say, if you can go, go. A lot of Black people are moving to Mexico, Mexico City. There is an exodus that I don't think is getting enough attention, but Black people are leaving the States. And I think that is amazing. Yeah. I personally have a couple friends who are. So yeah, I'm seeing it too. It's happening. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's happening and I'm happy to see it. The States is so toxic. And I think now that we're seeing that, you know, everyone's being affected by the toxicity. I don't know. We'll see what happens. (laughs) We'll see what happens. It's, it's, it's wild to witness from afar while still praying that my family, my friends, my loved ones stay safe. Yeah. Have you been back at all? Yes. Okay. And I was like, why did I do this? Yeah. Are you going to come back again? You know, I went last August and then it's interesting. I dodged COVID in the States because I was here in Grenada and then I got to the States and Grenada had a big outbreak for the first time ever. Grenada did so well through COVID. They shut down their borders. It was amazing. They, they were phenomenal. So I dodged COVID here. And so I ended up, I was only going to be in the States three weeks, but I was there three months just like seeing how Grenada would do. And they did beautifully again. And it was hard (laughs) being in New York was, I'm like, how did I do this? Just like getting an Uber for like $60, you know what I mean? Just to like go somewhere. It was just, everything is so extra and over the top. And it probably just felt toxic as shit, right? Like just like when you like stop smoking cigarettes or you stop drinking or something and then you like – it just like you're sensitized now to what it's like to not live here. And I'm assuming coming back here just felt – how did it feel? It was insane. It was insane. Just – I was like, oh my god. my I I was having so much compassion for myself. Like I – all the deep desires in me that wanted to leave, I, I could see why. And I just, I wasn't fully listening and I didn't know how to leave. Um, But I I think that also is like my relationship. I didn't really know how to leave until I just absolutely had to leave. And then the whole world opens up to you and reminds you that you're safe and held. You just have to do it. So yeah, I'm slated to be back in August for something. And I, I have no desire, especially in New York. I mean, I hear crime is up. And I already felt unsafe, you know, in in some ways, um, when crime wasn't up, you know, just riding the subway and being exposed to who knows who, I don't even know what it's like now. And I don't, ha- I don't really want to go back. I want to go back to shop. That's the thing I'm noticing about America. And listen, I'm, I'm so, I'm so privileged to have an American passport. 
it is the golden ticket. I am grateful. But the States is great for shopping and convenience. I don't, depending on where you live, I don't necessarily think it's the best for lifestyle. Unless you live like Portland, Emily. Like Portland's lovely. You know, you got like woods and paths and outdoor things and mountains. Like I need that in order to be okay in the States. But other than that, like it's it's like a big mall and you have all these conveniences that can keep you complacent, just like New York kept me complacent because everything was there 24 hours a day. But when you leave that, you do have to give up something. You always do. But the things that you can get in return are often, for me, priceless. It's not worth being able to order from Amazon and getting it the next day. Uh, it's fine. Even though I did spend like almost $1,000 on shipping just to get some essentials here. So it's it's a trade-off, you know? Yeah, it's a trade-off. I've, I've done a lot of solo travel, Southeast Asia and South Asia and um, backpacking and coming back to the States, it really, the description of the U S as a big mall, like really rings true. Like if you would like to participate in capitalism, we have a country for you. And it is really, it is really wild. And, 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 um, and something that until I had traveled, um, as an adult, because I never traveled as a kid, I never would have understood that. No, of course not. I think you can get used to conveniences though, right? But so that means you can also get used to inconveniences. And I think that like I'm assuming everyone listening to this is going to try and like move to Grenada. Um or not everyone, but like I'm assuming everyone that hears this, you know, it's uncomfortable and not tenable and dangerous for a lot of different people across a lot of identities, right? And I think um what advice would you give to somebody wanting to like leave America. Trust your gut. Listen to that voice within that's telling you that where you are isn't it. Trust that where you are will still be there if you decide to return. And trust that like you're being put on a path. Like I always say, your your dreams are in you to manifest. And so if there is a desire in you that is getting louder and louder, I often find life will get more and more uncomfortable as well until you surrender into that voice that's like, hey, pay attention to me. We need to go. We, we need to go. You know, and there's going to be massive resistance. People are going to tell you you're crazy. You know, your primal instincts are going to tell you you're crazy. But we are citizens of this globe. And if we can look at it through that lens, knowing that we'll be held, protected, cared for wherever we go do it. And if you can find work that is digital that you can do, do it. You know, like that's been my bread and butter that saved me being able to teach and lead corporate stuff and private clients virtually. Oh my gosh. And we're in that age. And you'll be surprised what skill sets are needed abroad that you have that company there might need. You just never know. You never know until you just do it. Your wings will spread out wide and there's a net to catch you as well. Every time, every time I've taken some crazy risks, even like leaving corporate and like figuring out how to teach full time in New York city is kind of crazy. And it worked out beautifully. You know, you got to just listen to your gut and do practices that support you trusting yourself more. Ask your intuition to speak louder to you. Because it's usually that the louder voice is the mean one that's going to criticize your decisions and tell you to stay, that you're crazy, la, la, la. So begin to let your intuition know that you want to hear it. You want to trust it. Can you please speak a bit louder for me? Because I want to connect with you. Yeah, that's what I have to do. It's been really fascinating watching you over the last few years. And I know that you're in the middle of like two identities or, you know, career paths or manifestation of the same career path. But I have to say that you're one of the few people, um, I got off Instagram recently, like just for you know a break, but you're one of the few people that I consistently feel like I want to learn from. And you also have a consistently p- positive and expansive and like abundance mindset. 
narrative of like, you remind me of the things and you're, you're joyful and you're not apologetic about being joyful and you're not apologetic about like being good. Right. And I think that I have over the last few years really had a hard time sane in that space just personally. But when I am sharing about it, because it feels like, well, I'm not supposed to be happy if we're in this much pain. But I, as a as a consumer, have needed that message from you and to see you just truly like live your best life. <laughs> like, and you know, without apologizing about it. And so I whatever you're doing, it is so I just want to, I think, like validate it's so needed. I need you to do what you're doing. I need the videos of you in the water, you know, and I need your affirmations and I need your like your encouragement. Um, so thank you for that. Wow. Thank you. Because sometimes I feel uncomfortable sharing the joy. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of grief and sorrow too, but there's there's so much joy. And um yeah, I, I thank thank you for reminding me to keep sharing. I, I remember I posted like just I was on a, a beautiful sailboat and I just put a montage of clips together about it. And there's a guilt in me of like, who am I to like share that I'm on this like sailboat in the Caribbean Ocean, like chilling? Um, but what's my point? My point is, it's authentic and it brings me joy and. It's also, Instagram has always been a practice of being okay to be seen and heard. And um, I don't know what I'm saying except thank you. And it just reminds me to keep going because people are paying attention, you know? And that what I'm saying maybe is making sense because sometimes I'm like, is it, is it resonating? <laughs> you know, or is it just like Instagram, like boosting my reels because they want everyone to do reels now, you know? So it's that balance of like, just keep putting your work out. Just keep doing it because it feels good. It feels good to share because it's helping me. It's saving my life. It's saving my mental health. So let me share. So thank you, Holly. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me. And like a deep body. Yeah, Emily work feels as well. the same way too. We talk about. We've talked. About I do it. feel the same way. We do. Yeah, we do. I. It's um. You know, it was like just unnecessary to chime in, but I totally agree. Um, and I and I feel the same way, and I think it is so important to see authentic joy because we see a lot of pain and we see a lot of posturing, you know, like we see a lot of people who are doing something for, who are marketing themselves in different ways and who are, you know, and so those that sort of fake aspect of social media. And then we see a lot of pain. And so to see joy that feels real and authentic and is unapologetic is a really beautiful thing. And I think it's really necessary and I agree, keep doing it. And I think what you just said about how it brings you joy to do it is so important. Like that's something that I think we just all of us to pay attention to that, like to to notice, like what lights me up, what actually brings me joy and to follow that and to pay attention to it um, is such an important practice. So totally. thank you for doing it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's like, I am my ancestors wildest dreams. Like I, even though I'm not like my, I don't think my bloodline is, I'm not from Grenada. Right. But I know my ancestors passed through Grenada. They were working the land here. There's cocoa plantations and sugar plantations and all the plant, like it, it's all here. And so part of it is healing for me to, to say yes to joy, to, sail on a on a sailboat on the same seas that my ancestors were packed into on boats like how profound is that and i think it's sometimes really scary to share your joy because you're afraid that people might be jealous or angry or there might be some type of ridicule and sometimes it's easier to stay in your suffering and and to not share the joy but the world is so dark you know like how can we how can we just sprinkle a little bit of sunshine somewhere, a little bit of a reminder that you're not alone in this, this crazy journey that we're all on called life? Because it's real. It's real out there. Yeah. So I'm. the thing that brings me the most joy is taking risks. 
the thing that they say don't do, you know? <laughs> That's what brings me so much joy when I see the reward. And there's going to be sacrifice, you know? There's, I can't bounce to JFK and go teach somewhere right now. I could, but I can do things differently and it, it's okay. And I might not be like rolling in the dough and that's okay, but there's more to come. We forget that we're going to die. We forget about the impermanence of life. Like if I died tomorrow, I would be okay. I'd be like, have a party. This was great. I'm so glad I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Out of here. Bye. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was I read something last night and it was God what I don't even know where it was but it was just like it was about that like you're dying the only thing that you'll take with you is your state of mind that is it and so much of our life is spent like sacrificing our state of mind to accumulate what shit that we can't take with us and so I just I love it. We said this off interview, but you said my bank account is concerning, but like my joys and my happiness, you know, like, like is, is I'm so abundant. I'm so rich. Um, but not, you know, necessarily in the terms that our society right now at this time would, you know, consider rich, but I think that's so important. And I think you're living that. Yeah. If, if you can tap into abundance internally, then it will manifest in the external world. It has to start from within. And then when you do yeah. get it, you can really enjoy it because you're already in that state. Yeah. And that's that's what I want to continuously be in regardless well, I think of what's you're doing a good job at it. <laughs> Thanks. It's a practice. <laughs> it's hard. It's a choice. It is a practice. It's such a practice. It's such a fucking – it is like not easy to continuously remind yourself that like it's working out the way it should and the universe is ever expanding and abundant and working on your behalf and all of that. It's, it's, it's a commitment. And can you have bad days? Can you actually just like let yourself feel bad for yourself? Can you do that for a little bit? Like, yeah, you can do that too. So it doesn't always have to be rosy. Feel your feelings. Your feelings, there's information in your emotions that will also guide you. Don't just stuff it down. Yeah. Let it out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. It's a joy. It's a it's an honor. And you remind me, like, you know, because ego deaths, right? It's like, um, you, you actually reminded me to, because you're like, we we can't find anything about like your current you know, current updates about yourself, like articles and things like that. And it's because I've been hiding. So you actually fueled me because I'm working on not hiding anymore. And you're, you have fueled me to continue to share my story and to write and all the things. So just thank you. Because when I start, that's when opportunities come, but I've stopped, you know, but there's a big opportunity that landed. So anyway, I, I just, I thank you. You reminded me to Sarah, stop hiding. It's time. It's time. It's time. So more to come. And thank you for having me. You've been listening to Quitted, a podcast about quitting, hosted by Holly Whitaker and Emily McDowell. Our music is by Michael Blumenfeld. Our sound engineer is Adam Day. And our producer is Kathleen Kissage. Quitted is made possible by us and by our listeners. To support the show, join our patron community at patreon.com forward slash quitted.